lovers, this is Dr. Candace Nicole with How to Love a Human. You can follow me and the How to Love a Human project on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candace Nicole and HowToLoveAHuman.com, where I welcome your contribution to the conversation. Today, I'm dialoguing with Kai, and I appreciate all you lovers out there for taking this journey with me to discover. Hey everyone, today on How to Love a Human, I am here with Kai Love. Hey Kai. Hello, hello. How are you today? I'm doing very well today. How are you? I am doing really, really good and very excited to talk about my favorite subject. Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to start with my non-researchy question first. Are you feeling human or human as fuck today, half. Mm. I'm feeling human as fuck today. I'm feeling human as fuck today, yes. Okay, how do you make the difference? <laughs> well, because I think when you're feeling human, um, that's more of the regular um, feeling, like your, your regular monotonous day-to-day dealings of humaning, as I call it. Mm-hmm. Um Human as fuck is like when you have a hypersensitivity to something. Mm. There's a relational situation that's happening, um, or if um, you're, you're super sensitive because of some biological situation. Right now, I have a bit of a cold, so mm-hmm. I'm hyper aware of what my body is doing and feeling and temperature and you know, space to other people potentially who may or may not be sick. So mm-hmm. that's why I say human as fuck today because, like, I'm paying a lot of attention. Gotcha. So you are in tuned with your body. Yes, ma'am. Yes, in tuned with your experience and especially your your health and your wellness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on all levels, I'm, I'm fine I like that hypersensitivity, though. That makes sense to me. When you're human, you might, you're not an autopilot. That wouldn't be quite the way to describe it, but you're just going about your day. The monotony doesn't seem special. But when you're half, when you're human as fuck, you're noticing more. Mm -hmm. Yes. So break yourself down with me. Share your most salient identities. Mm. Uh, So I would say... um, I'm black first all day. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone who knows me or who is affiliated with the work that I do, both professionally uh, and personally, artistically, creatively, else is always about black people. Mm-hmm. So I identify myself as a black person, um, as a, a a woman. I would say second, certainly. Um, I've never uh, been one that uh, described myself or. Uh, felt like I needed to determine my sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's always been very fluid um, and certainly directed towards heterosexuality. Um, but I love all people, mm-hmm. and I've not been one that said, "Oh, I could never, you know, fall in love with a, a woman Got or one I identified outside of a, a heterosexual domain." Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never even reference that when I'm, you know, talking about myself. You hear other people like, you know, I'm a straight, you know, white mm-hmm. man. That's never, you know, been a portion of my, my identity. I've always identified myself as a black woman. And I would say um, if I would 
add a couple of descriptors further down the line, I will say that I'm a creativist. Mm. Um, say more about what that is. Um, basically, that you work and thrive and produce uh, things creatively that have activism roots. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. <laughs> certainly involved in many um, places and spaces, helping people to, you know, identify also that they too are human as fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> and that they deserve to, you know, have equal rights and be able to live and prosper in this world just like everyone else. Uh, so that's my definition of creativist, uh, using my creative arts to um, touch on activism uh, and, and support activism across different um, plateaus. And then I would say um, the, 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 the last one will be I'm an academic. Mm-hmm. It's it's difficult for me to separate myself from being an academic yeah. because I've spent so much time in school and particularly I feel you. <laughs> them student loans Man. making me human as fuck. <laughs> humbling. They are humbling. <laughs> But I get a lot of people who want me to uh, speak to the academic piece of my life because I have a ability to um, walk in both lifestyles. Mm-hmm. So I be this extra creative um, person that's community based and, you know, talk to a homeless person and provide a bit of information, inspiration, just like I can sit on someone's PhD panel. Mm-hmm. Um, and help to determine, you know, if their defense is worthy uh, to be awarded um, that degree. So being able to kind of vacillate between those two worlds, um, I always have to take a nod to academic work. So I would say if I was to describe myself, I'm black, I'm a woman, I'm a creativist, and I'm an academic. Got it. So I want to dig into that a bit more because how do you, you said you vacillate between the two worlds. Do you find yourself being a bridge I find myself being uh, more than a bridge. Mm. I've, I've always described myself as being an electrical cord. Mm, okay, break that for in, me. In the sense that people can plug into me and get energy and that I too have to plug into other things to pull energy. Mm-hmm. So it's more, it's, it's, I think it, it has more energy uh, nodes to it than just being a bridge. A bridge mm-hmm. is fairly still stable, uh, stagnant, you know, un- unless, you know, something physically breaks with the bridge, mm-hmm. you know, people still can potentially, potentially find a way across. I feel that I offer a, a pretty unique uh, electric cord uh, opportunity in, the, in my ability to, to speak to many different things. I'm very resourceful. And so I get a lot of conversations, phone calls, and inquiries about how can I do this? Got and it. I typically know three or four different paths uh, to be able to get that thing done or to provide that information or support to that person. Um, and so um, I think that that's helpful. I think also when we plug things into electricity, we expect for the electricity to flow. Mm-hmm. And we're not uh, aware of the current. We don't mm. know if it's, you know, 10 volts or 45 volts. You know, we're, we're not that sophisticated as consumers from a, um, a brass tax perspective. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that um, most electrical cords have a breaker on it Mm. that siphons 
the amount of electricity to ensure that nothing blows up, right? Right. So, so I have to be able to have the insight, the intuition, and the temperament to determine how much power and energy needs to happen on either side to make sure that the shit just doesn't implode. Right. right. So that's why I like electrical cord versus bridge because it just, it just speaks to a, a deeper um, energy connection to people. So really ran off on the plug twice. <laughs> That's what you are. <laughs> you are the plug for a lot of people, the source of energy, but sometimes you recognize your need to tap in. I'm wondering how your black womanhood stands as the current. Is it the breaker? Is it the current? Is it the the port? Like what part of that do you feel is connected to the energy or what helps you do what you do well? I think the, I think the black woman is support. Mm. I, I'm naturally nurturing. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that I don't have any children of my own, but I kind of see the world as my child Got in a lot it. of ways. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's like I, uh, I almost welcome those, uh, you know, the sick, the shut-in, the poor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> the disheartened, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, um, Come get some of this energy because I feel like I have an abundance of it to give. Got you know? it. Uh, and so it's apropos that my name is Kai Love because I feel like I have a lot of love to give. And people need love and different forms of love to prosper. And I don't mind sharing what I have or what I know in an effort for other people to, you know, get a bit of peace or live their best life or, you know, solve a problem. Um, and so I think my black womanness is rooted in that. And if you go back into our history and look at, you know, how black women have been holding it down for the culture. For so many, so many, so many centuries. Just our family structures. And when we point to people in our family that we admire, we model ourselves after, sadly, you know, there isn't many nods to black men, although I'm a a daddy's girl and I do give my father extra credit props. Mm -hmm. But there certainly have been a lot of black women in my life and in my family that I've always aspired to be like. Mm. So what makes black woman and creativist, academic, and fluid sexual being stand out to you as opposed to other identities that you may hold? Um, I I think that there's a comfort Mm -hmm. and a confidence. um, And I think I take myself serious. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I've never carried myself as a plaything. Got it. You know, I'm not a toy. And certainly I have great comedic background and and jokes abound, you know, certainly. But I've always carried, you know, all of my identities as a responsibility. Got it. That there were others who lost their lives so that I could continue to do the things that I do that many other people are not even deeply rooted enough in their knowledge base to understand what sacrifice it took for them to be able to do the things that they do. But I take Mm -hmm. that so seriously. And because of that seriousness, because of that responsibility that I carry uh, for the ancestors and others, I think um, it, it shows 
um, a bit of uh, confidence. It shows a bit of security. Um, I think also it's helpful because there's a light that's there. Wow. It helps other people to see me, even mm. when I don't see myself. Wow. So this responsibility, this concept has come up before in another interview that I did, and it was also a black woman. And I'm just curious about how we find ourselves in many marginalized identities still responsible for loving folks. I'm wondering, what about other identities you might not have mentioned, like ability status or social class or um, gender identity? Any of those things. So, in reference to my sexuality, um, I've never really, like, felt responsible for for being sexual. Mm -hmm. I've never really felt a lot of um, influence from culture or from men or even from women, because we as women tend to certainly compare ourselves to each other, to be like, oh, I need to make sure that I step in front mm-hmm. um, to, to be seen as a heterosexual um, creature. Uh, comparatively, I have felt some responsibility for feeling like I, as a, a, a woman who is sensual and enjoys being a woman, to have society understand that sexuality is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. If a woman speaks about sexuality or sensuality, that that doesn't you know mean that she's a hoe. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that she's loose. You know, yep. and so I have felt some responsibility to to try to um, persuade the societal notion that sexualized women. Um, have been abused <laughs> or have, you know, uh, whole-like tendencies, HLT, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um, or are even attention-seeking. You know, you might just love the skin that you're in and, you know, ooze sexuality, and that's just kind of part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and so I've, I think that I've uh, held a piece of, a small piece of responsibility for challenging that status quo social paradigm around women owning their own sexuality which is a different space i think than like what the amber rose was trying to do um i think it's different in in the sense that you know i'm not like um uh hey you you need to accept this because this is what it is you know deal with it versus saying you know we as black women who grew up in households where our mothers didn't talk about sex Mm -hmm. you know have shamed sex, uh, churches shamed sexual behavior or right. sexualized behavior. And I'm saying I'm pretty normal and I'm okay. And if I can say, you know, uh, a term that one may deem to be, you know, disrespectful because it has sexual roots, that certainly that that doesn't mean, you know, that anything's wrong with me. And that right. if you feel like saying one of those terms in whatever reason, or in whatever space, that that doesn't mean that you're a bad person as well. You know, mm, I get that. Mm-hmm. So moving away from uh, uh, more uh, of the in your face, you have to accept this versus like moving with the first step, which I believe is uh, self-acceptance. Mm, okay. And, and having other women 
feel like, okay, I feel normal for feeling this way. Gotcha. And that's, I don't have to be shameful about it. I get that. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other spaces, I would say, um, like class, um, I've not been in a uh, lower socioeconomic status Mm -hmm. um, except for a few times in my life. And that's mostly because I was with my mother and Mm -hmm. my mother unfortunately doesn't have, you know, the job skills or the educational skills. And so those times where I was with her, certainly our quality of life was a little challenging at times. But as long as my father was around and and, in the house or the primary uh, caregiver, then certainly we lived a very traditional middle class life and had, you know, plenty of food, lots of clothes, fancy cars, always had homes. We've never lived in apartments. Uh, So I tend to not speak to that as an identity opportunity mm-hmm. only because the areas and spaces and places where I'm trying to make the most difference, they have never had that lifestyle. Mm, okay. So it's a difficult uh, discussion point to talk about how you need to get your life together if I'm coming from a place where they see me as having classes privilege. I see. So for and you, I, that identity becomes less salient because it's not one that's marginalized and it you don't use that in your encounters with people to like express yourself. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, and certainly it could be. Um, you know, I could, you know, use that as a platform. I think that if I started to identify myself um, and had academic being higher on my four-point scale, Mm-hmm. Uh, my my class would probably have a little bit more value because I think I would have value systems that reflect I that see. that something had to happen economically and otherwise to get me to this middle class upper middle class section of life, and then that would be a value judgment against anyone who wasn't able to maintain there. And then I don't think, and I think that this is. Uh, evident when we talk about uh, places and spaces in in the world, and especially on the internet, um, when you're trying to um, be influential and you're trying to be helpful, but you throw, you know, what you got going on into mm. the mix, mm-hmm. <laughs> people are less likely to be receptive. They're less likely to to um, to hear you, to receive you. So I, I see my class as privilege, mm-hmm. and I. See and I, and I see myself as being humble in that privilege. Got it. That's my right to uh, assume my level of privilege on anyone because just because how I turned out and mm-hmm. how I live in my life and how I make my money, that doesn't mean that everyone had the same access or opportunity, despite the fact that there was challenging times in my life, too. I, you know, one challenging moment doesn't negate you know, or support another's challenging moment. That's right. right. It seems like knowing you, you've used your class privilege in ways to help others, though, in being able to write the grants and being able to engage in a number of different spaces. Some, In some ways, social class privilege has allowed you to be able to connect across all of that or connect through all of that. Certainly. Understanding mm-hmm. what the other side knows. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. has been helpful for the people who don't know. Yeah. Right? 
So that kind of goes back to this whole conversation of me being this electrical cooler. Um, I think also, though, um, being able to speak the language, you know, so we talk okay. about like being bilingual, we talk about a, a language that is, you know, cultural or ethnic, mm-hmm. you know, but we never talk about language in the form of class. Right. You know, so that's a good point. It, there is a language mm-hmm. <laughs> that has to be spoken for people in other class levels to be able to even invite you into the table, mm. right? So when we talk about, um, I, I was watching something recently um, about um, it being Mary Jane, actually, the, the most recent mm-hmm. episode uh, where uh, she had a reality star on her, sh- her television show and uh, on on the air, she was sounding one way, but then they caught her on YouTube, you know, <laughs> talking to her behind the scenes, and she was talking another way, and that's kind of what made the, that video went viral. Oh. And so talking about, you know, how we bounce in and out of these identities. The code switch. The code switch, <laughs> which uh, most people uh, assume is like race, mm. black, mm-hmm. that you know that it's about uh Changing from being your black self to being your professional black self mm-hmm. so white people can accept you. I counter that argument to be that it has little to do with color in some instances, especially because I work in human services. Mm-hmm. It's more about class and economic opportunity mm. talk. If you talk that money and you know how to talk about money, then people who have money have more confidence in you taking money from them to do other things for people who don't have the money wow that's rich (laughs) literally and figuratively right so (laughs) you're thinking about language as both classed and raced is it also gendered are there certain ways that you talk with men that you may not need to talk with women or vice versa i think me, I learned a long time ago that being a woman certainly has its privileges mm-hmm. and certainly has its barriers depending upon the audience, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Uh, so um, I may be able to, to sweetheart a man, you know, mm-hmm. um, and and it be acceptable, but certainly can't sweetheart a sister because <laughs> sisters don't play that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so I think gender certainly has uh, uh, affected my approach in language Mm. um, to determine, you know, what I say. Um, I think depending on the the crowd, uh, if it's mixed company, Mm -hmm. let's say lots of diversity, both male and female, um, typically I kind of uh, sit back and kind of get a a feel for the tone of the the audience before I determine how I'm going to move things, you know, out of my mouth to be effective. Because when I'm sitting in these meetings and I'm sitting in these rooms, I always have a plan. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like I'm sitting there because I don't have anything else better to do with my life. I'm I got some things to do and I need to get them done and let me figure out the best way that I can get that done. Right. right. And being a, being a little cutie helps too. Hey, okay. So, 
you know, showing up and, you know, popping these big gray eyes on a couple of people has been helpful. So, Got it. Mm-hmm. you know, um, and not that, you know, I'm, I'm using uh, my body or my, you know, traits to influence I don't think that I've ever been in a space where I've showed up and be like, okay, I'm the cute girl in the room and I'm going to play cute. Right. I always You just happen to be cute. I happen to be cute. I always defer to smart. Mm-hmm. I try to be smart all the time. Got it. Well, we're going to switch gears a little bit. What does love mean to you? Oh, love means so many things um, to me. Um one of the things that happened, um, as you are aware, um, I had a serious illness at the end of December 2015, mm-hmm. and it left me ill most of 2016. So I'm finally at the point now here in 2017, early, that I feel a little bit more like my old self, like, mm. I, you know, like I'm back in control of my body. Um, and what love means to me at this moment is... A, a acceptance mm, okay and it means um, a betterment acceptance and betterment break break the acceptance piece down for me first so acceptance meaning um, when you love someone and when you love yourself okay there is a level of acceptance for who you really are uh, so no airs, no secrets, um, bare bones, ugly, mm. you know, things that you're not so proud of. And, and through it all, you still have a level of affinity for oneself or for, you know, other people. Right. Uh, being able to see the love in them outside or despite, um, anything they may have done or said, decisions made. Got it. So there's an acceptance that um, almost in in their humaning, you know, mm-hmm. there's an acceptance mm-hmm. and you love them anyway, right? Um, and I, I want to stress that that, you know, also goes for self. Right. You have, to have a level of self-love that's, that's present. Does it need to be? for self first because i know i hear a lot of people say gotta love yourself first before you can love anyone else do you see it in that linear way no i've dispelled that myth a long time ago because there are people you know we are all motivated by different things Mm, okay and there are people who have strong resilience and are self-motivated and there are people who only step up to the challenge when someone challenges them and pushes them towards the mark. Okay, okay. And so I refuse to believe that it has to be that linear in order for it to be considered love. Because sometimes you don't have the the um, inner fortitude mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> to see the love in you. Wow. Especially if you've been in an environment that wasn't conducive for love moments. If you didn't have anyone around you that was, you know, expressing love, showing love, saying love, because then that speaks to like even love languages, mm-hmm. like motivate us. How do you know it's love uh, if you're not getting how you need to be loved? You know, right. and I think that sometimes people make the assumption that because you grew up in a loving household 
quote unquote loving household that you should not ever not feel loved. Hmm. But but what if they were loving you in the way that was their love language, but it wasn't your love language? Right. So now you're misaligned, and that even goes for biological love. I think we put so much emphasis on parents who have, you know, made decisions or, uh, you know, even have received the bad parent moniker. Mm -hmm. But if their love language was different than their child's love love language, then certainly they're not going to love well. And they could have been doing the best they had to do. They could have done, not knowing that they were missing the mark. Exactly. Not knowing. Um, so I, I think that love can be very circular okay. in, in a space and one may need to thrive on it or see it in action from someone else in order to recognize it in yourself. And then, then once you recognize it, work to build it up so that you do have a greater, uh, amount of resiliency and fortitude to be able to show love elsewhere. So in effect... You can be loving on other people while you're figuring out how to love yourself and get to that place of acceptance that you just talked about. Absolutely. Got it. I think, you know, there's always the adage of, you know, after you go through a really bad breakup, mm-hmm. they always say the first thing, spend time by yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get to know yourself because that's the only way you're going to be prepared to love again. And, and I challenge that notion because mm-hmm. sometimes you need to see somebody love on you in a way that you've never experienced love mm. before to bring you to your higher vibrated love self. Wow. You know, you, you, you don't know you like a song until you hear it. Right. And love in a lot of ways is a vibrated song through the universe mm. that has notes that resonate in each of us i love this metaphor keep it going (laughs) we need to hear the song into completion Mm -hmm. for us to be like all right this feels good i like let me let me bookmark this on my spotify right your spiritual spotify (laughs) spotify that's exactly what it is so i think that sometimes you need to experience that through other people so that you can recognize um, and help to build a bit of trust trust and confidence uh, and comfort um, and some vulnerability. Yeah. You know, love is a very vulnerable emotion, right? You're right. putting all your business out there. And it's not just, you know, uh, romantic love, eros, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's familial love, you know. You, you, you basically are saying to some other person, you know, I am perfect, but I'm still lovable, mm-hmm. you know, and and standing in that. And that's really hard for most people to do because we always have been taught that in order to receive something as great as love, that we should be putting our best foot forward. Oh, wow. And if we aren't putting our best foot forward, then we live with the notion that we don't deserve to be loved. And I think that that's wrong. I think that if we operated love in a more circular uh, motion and notion of inspiration, then we would be a better healed society. Mm. So if we didn't place expectations of perfection on the person we're giving love to, and if as the person hoping to receive love, we didn't place them on ourselves, 
there would be a different level of healing we could experience societally. Wow. You talked about self-acceptance, and then there was one other thing that you said that really grounded the foundation of love for you. Betterment. Betterment? Yes. Break that down for me. So, to, to me, uh, a little bit of an Okay. One second. Oh, I see what happens when my laptop sounds like it's getting hot. That's when the echo comes. Okay. Let me see if I got any programs playing in the background. Don't need to be. Not really. How was it sounding? Uh, Still uh, echo? A little bit of an echo. Okay. Okay. No, I see. It feels like it might be on my end. I'm feeling some... I'm hearing something too. Okay. My computer's been going hard for the past few days. She's like, look, ma'am, <laughs> we need you to give me a break sometime. Okay, maybe that'll do it, give it a chance to cool off. You still hearing it pretty hard? Um, a little bit. Okay, it's not coming through on this side. I'm wondering if it's recording it. Yeah, I'm turning things off. No, I think it's definitely on this side. I don't want to stop it and shut the computer down and come back. I'm going to try to push through, but if it gets too bad, just let me know again and we'll have to we'll have to stop recording and then let me shut the computer down and regenerate and like reboot cuz something is going on in the in the background that's taking the power, but I'm trying to shut most of the programs down, so yeah, I think we're good now. Okay. So I'm uh, talking about betterment. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that when someone makes a love deposit in you, or you you receive a love you know deposit, mm. or you give a deposit, that there's an exchange of energy flow that um, if you're paying attention and you're aware that 
you should be better be because of it. Mm. When I think about all of my failed love relationships from the past and really, you know, having space now between those relationships and being able to see myself as the woman that I am today as well as the woman that I was then and the decisions and some of the um, activities of those relationships. Certainly, they didn't end the way that I wanted them to end, but I took so much from those okay. relationships that has just made me into this person today. Like, I told, told someone the other day that I am so proud of the woman that I am today. Wow. Like, I am proud of myself as a person. I am proud of my ability to, to persevere and push through um, a, a pretty traumatic, you know, um, physical issue that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've, you know, pushed myself to um, face some of the things that um, have not been the most pleasant about my personality, my character, my value system. And I've done a lot of work as a result of really e- examining and evaluating um, who I am in a loving relationship, mm. regardless of who the intended uh, love recipient is. Um, and it's made me such a better person. Like, um, People would ask the question, you know, they would ask these questions all the time in conversations. Would you date you? You know, mm-hmm. would always say nope <laughs> because I always would say that. You used to I, say nope. I used to always say no because I felt like I had unreasonable expectations because I am a high expectation driver. Right. Uh, I have a lot of patience and tolerance, certainly for human behavior, but me, myself, you know, I'm a classic overachiever. Mm-hmm. You know, I have so many interests and, and, and fortunately and unfortunately, I am the type of person that if I want to do something, there's pretty much not much that has ever been able to stop me from doing it. Mm. Anything I've ever wanted to do, anything that I've ever wanted to be, things that I shouldn't even know how to do or be. One try and I'm doing it really well. Right, you know right. Don't tell me you're a good poet. I I came out the womb with the fist rub. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, like being able to um, work the you know what society may deem as the negative things about loving relationships that you know that offer hurt and uh, tend to fuel. Uh, greater insecurities or, um, you know, violate trust and bonds and, mm-hmm. you know, all the negative things they say, for all of those things, I look at all the other valuable things that I learned about myself and how that has made me into someone that I really can be proud of. Like, I am so proud of myself and I often pass myself in the mirror and smile at me because mm. I feel like, even in all of my imperfections, uh, scars from the surgery, um, you know, career changes, uh, projects that started and stopped, relationships that may have started and stopped, uh, you know, that they've been just really beneficial. And so I think we focus so much on what went wrong in the love. Mm-hmm. Versus what went right in the love. And I know that's the nature of humans. Yeah. You know, you could be doing something right 50 times. That 51st time you do something wrong, all holy hell to broke loose. You know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
You're like, it's only one time. <laughs> I'll repeat the other time. What about the fifth time? I'd be like, fuck them 50 times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that if we institute a paradigm shift around what we value, mm. we will find that the things that we were all up in the arms about and super negative and feeling about actually didn't even really matter. But mm. think of all the things that you gained and how you are a heavier lover, you know, yes. because of it, you know. What, building on that, so what do you think the world would be like if it loved black women like you? Humans like you. Oh my goodness. Every day would be like Sunday dinner at Big Mama House. Mm. You know, that that reinforcement, that warm feeling, that excitement because you knew Uncle So and so was gonna be there. You know, in a little bit of time. Like the things we all need a home. Mm. Home. Home. And, and if you if if love is the home base and the world kind of took some notes for me, at least on my theory about how love should be. I think that regardless of what home you came from, you know, literally, mm-hmm. that figuratively you would find a loving home someplace else. Wow. So every place in the world would be home or would there be just you knew where the place where home could be for you was? I think because of the propensity for people to have free thought, you know, mm-hmm. we can't discount the fact that folks just be acting the hell up. Just right, right, right. I think that you would have more points of home than just one point of home. Mm. In, in some cases, for some people, or in some people, in some cases, people who feel like they don't have any home and they just kind of wander around searching and not really finding a place where they feel like they belong. I think that there would be more intersectionality of homes. Mm. That no matter where you ended up or where you went, there would be a place. Like So just think about all the places in your life that you go. Right. So I, I'll describe mine. You know, I have my business that I run and all the clients that I'm responsible for. I have this artist life, uh, my own individual artist life. I have now this artist life that I'm building with my mate. Mm-hmm. And we're doing things together, working on a project together. Um, I have my activism work and, you know, all these other things that I'm doing. So let's just say that it's 10 things that I do every month. Okay. You know? uh, and if seven of them 10 were like the love home base girl, you know, I'd be sliding in there every time. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like every time, because that would keep my energy cup full of love opportunities. How many of them do feel like love, like a big mama's house? Like a Sunday dinner. I would say fifty percent of them. Okay. Um, I I feel my strongest, and I think people would be surprised for me to say that. I feel my strongest uh, being in my romantic relationship. Mm. What would be surprising I, about that? Um, I think that because I haven't been one that ever touted about uh, romance mm-hmm. or you know partnership. 
it's not been, you know, something that's been the forefront of a lot of my conversations. I think that black and people getting love from other other people versus talking about myself. Okay. I think it'd be a shocking note for people to hear about because I don't talk about it. Like, um, I met someone for the first time on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Who, who said, you know, when he saw me, he was like, you are so pretty. And I said, thank you. And he said, because, you know, you don't have no pictures on Facebook. And I'm like, you know, hey, I get down. He was like, girl, do you know I had to scroll all through? I went through your whole timeline. He was like, back to when you got on Facebook. No. And I was like, what does this girl look like? You know? like <laughs> he was searching. He was searching, but he was like, but what I found was quotes and, and inspirational notes and songs. And he was like, you had me high for at least two weeks. I was like, this girl, she talk about some things. So I, I think that um, uh, in, in my romantic relationship specifically, where I feel like I'm my most vulnerable, um, that that feels like the, a good home plate home mm-hmm. base for, mm-hmm. for me because um, I gained strength in that and I and I continue to learn a lot of a lot of, of my other relationships or my other positions in life I feel like sometimes I don't get the learning opportunity wow. because I'm doing so much service mm-hmm. uh, and even though you can learn certainly from serving but sometimes I feel like that I'm not getting what I need Right. Gotcha. You need to be able to be the receptive person. Is that what yeah. I'm hearing? Okay. Exactly. Um, and so um, uh, I would say that out of it, if we're using 10 as the basis, I would say 50% of those I feel like are like the best places ever. And I feel really good. And I look forward to being in those environments mm-hmm. with those people. And the other 50% I think are just work in progress. Okay. I think that, you know, whether it's one where I'm going to remove myself from that situation and I've had to do that and have gained strength from saying, you know what, this ain't for me. I'm done. And I'm, I'm out. <laughs> you know, story. And, and, you know, certainly there are people who were left behind who may be inconvenienced by the fact that I was got, I had to get done. But, you know, everything that you invest your time and energy into is not meant to last forever. Sometimes it's just a one point opportunity. And yeah. sometimes you let things go longer than they should have, mm. which can be harmful for other people in their process. And, you know, sometimes ego plays into that. Like, this can't go on if I ain't in it. You know, sometimes you got to check your ego and be like, okay, ego, you know, is this is this a love movement or is this a love hindrance? Okay. Right? Okay. And you've been, com- I, I think what I'm hearing you say is you've become clearer on what those things are. Oh, certainly. Mm-hmm. Certainly, certainly. I, I understand my love language. I know um, what I need uh to, to hear what I need to see. I know what I need to feel. Um, and I also know when people are taking advantage of that mm. and not holding their weight, you know, because mm-hmm. us over lovers, man, great capacity to love tend to, uh, make up a lot of love slack, man. Even though you, even though this doesn't relate at all, it sound when you said the, us over lovers, it made me immediately think the overweight lover heavy D. But, <laughs> but what I'm hearing you say <laughs> is that if you have a, a large capacity to love, sometimes it takes a while for you to realize you're using more than your fair share in a situation. 
And then when you realize it, you're like, oh, I need to reevaluate this. Is it that this person doesn't have the capacity or this group or this experience really needs me to overreach right now and then it'll balance out? Or is this going to be a constant give with very little receive? Exactly. Like you have to, you know, one of the Hippocratical oaths is, you know, you do no harm. Mm-hmm. And so that is something I think that if we, again, talking about a, a paradigm shift in values, if we really assume a value of not harming other people, then it will be a little easier for us to deal with our own capacity and to move around um, as freely as we need to. Okay. Be. What identities in others do you sometimes struggle to love? I, and this this is um, very showy, boisterous people. Okay. I don't like vain folks. Mm. So my, my partner loves to show his handsome face all up and down the Facebook channel. <laughs> And it's a beautiful face. I mean, it's gorgeous. And so I understand that he very well may, you know, have a reason for mm-hmm. that. He talks to and, you know, there's an ego in being a performer, certainly. I have one as well. My, I just identify my ego differently. Um, and so people who, like, are constantly, you know, bombarding us with how they look mm. annoys me to no end. Sister, you look the same today <laughs> as you did on Tuesday. Brother, I've seen you in that same jersey at least six times this year with the same pose. I got it. You cute. You got a cute little lip. You know it's good. <laughs> I'm you. you know I'm that lip is where you. they go to. That lip. <laughs> You know, you gotta get the little, little curled up lip, you know, letting let them know, you know, I see you looking, girl. I'm like, <laughs> I like the picture the first time. It's sold up in various forms 19 different times this month. I'm like, can you, do you, do you know some words? And I think that's just because of how, again, the thing that, that uh, attracts me, I'm attracted to language. Okay. I'm attracted to words. Uh, Facebook and some of the other corresponding social media platforms are not platforms for lots of words. Mm. They rely heavily on images, yep. uh, humor, and a lot of it is kind of lightweight banter. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some social action happening on those networks, but ain't nobody like really, you know, going like super hard. Right. Like, ain't nobody really no white paper. Nope. <laughs> what you talking about in your 16 character posts (laughs) (laughs) i've seen some i've seen a few people post what could amount to a white paper and then nobody reads them and then that gets squashed basically Mm -hmm. yes and i'm probably guilty of some of that too you know my own uh, early morning bantering (laughs) but like every time i see a person who's on facebook who always like the selfie movement oh my goodness that is the thing that has uh, stressed me out the most. And so I always, you know, try not to make a judgment because I try to, at least for those people who post a lot of pictures of themselves, I try to find their words. Like, I want to know who you are Mm -hmm. and why you have a reason to post these pictures up all the time. Gotcha. That's real. 
Yeah, I would say that that those are that is the probably the top thing where I'd be like. Oh I can God. tell how your voice arched up that that just irritates you. It, <laughs> it, it provided a, a problem in my spirit. It mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, and you spoke about this to some extent when you were talking about how proud of yourself you are, how you really are feeling yourself now in a different way. What do you love most about you? The thing that I love most, this is such a good question. I don't think anyone's asked me this Mm. in a very long time. So I'm not prepared with an answer, but I'm going to dig deep into my my spirit and and see. Go for it. And see what comes up. Um, What I, I would say, the thing that I... I love most about myself and what I'm most proud of um, is I stopped hiding. Ooh, okay. I've always been a background player. Mm-hmm. I can background well. Okay. Like, I know I that. <laughs> some mountains and create some countries mm-hmm. and won't nobody even know I'm there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And and it'll be all because of me. And I won't take the credit and won't seek the, the fame or the fortune or not just kind of play the background, use, you know, use my skill sets and my love for people to try to just make things better for myself. Um, I've had the propensity to try to hide my talents and to even play down some of my skills for fear that people wouldn't accept me as me because mm. I had too many good things going on. So we in the black we yeah. in the black community are rooted in struggle. So if you ain't got a little struggle in you, mm. <laughs> if you ain't got a struggle story, a struggle post, <laughs> it tends to not validate, you know, you as a person in, in these circles, right? Um so I've stopped hiding and I've just kind of been like, you know, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. You, get little, you get a little more face on Facebook. Little you know? face. <laughs> little hair. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You get a couple videos. You know what I'm saying? See me a little more. You know? So um, just, you know, not hiding myself from myself and from others. Mm. That is the thing that I love about myself right now is that, like, I am as authentic as I've ever been as a an alive person mm. that's you know conscious enough to be able to you know make my own decisions and such. Uh, I am as authentic as I've ever been. It takes courage to show up as full Kai. Man, let me tell you, sister, it it's taken a lot of courage. Um, but me getting low sick, as my grandma was mm-hmm. saying, mm-hmm. yeah, me me getting low sick removed a lot of that barrier and you know I fell in love you know with a colostomy bag hanging from my stomach wow and that man said we just gonna move this bag up out the way because I need to kiss your scars because they're cute to me oh my gosh you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. and I don't know many men and I know some great great virtuous, loving men, I don't know many men that would have wanted to be by my side through such difficult tragedy with 
without a prior relationship. Wow. It wasn't like this this me and him were dating for five years and I got sick and all these things happened to my body. Right. It was literally like we started talking in the summer of 2015. We uh, got intimate uh, in November of 2015. Three weeks later, I went into major surgery. Wow. Missing three of my organs and had a colostomy bag. Wow. And he never made a move. He never stepped different. He didn't step away. He never stepped away. He stood there. And that is the thing my father said to him. And my daddy don't like nobody. <laughs> <laughs> nobody. Let's, let's make sure that that's clear. He don't like nobody. He said that to him. He said, you know, it takes a superior man. Mm. Not superior. <laughs> wow. It's a superior man to... Be with a woman, even when he can't be with that woman sexually. Wow. And he said, and for that, I just thank you because I feel like you uh, stepped into a role that I've always wanted for my daughter outside of me. And that was for someone to love her, see her for who she is. And protect her and keep her safe. Wow. And your dad saw that. And I know how much he means to you. And you saw it. So it was validation of what you were witnessing and experiencing too. And everybody says it. All my friends say it. Everybody says it. Like, you know, that that was big. You know, so he has major points across the board for many different people. Wow. I was able, you know... If this had happened to a less aware Kai, mm-hmm. pushed him away from me because I wouldn't want it to have him have seen me in that way. Wow. So it would have never even happened. I wouldn't even allowed him to get next to me because it was a very embarrassing and very trying physical time for me. You wouldn't have wanted to be that vulnerable with him or with anyone. I, not at all. Mm. And I just... You know what I'm saying? When you got 50 staples in your stomach. Yeah. And a bag hanging from it and an organ hanging out the bag. And you just be like, come check this out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it changes you and it makes you open to anything. And so, again, coming out of hiding and being like, this is what I feel. This is who I am. This is what I look like. All of that has been very cathartic and uh, a blessing to me. I love me. Wow. All of you. All of me. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me, telling me who you are, telling me how to love a human. I am so grateful for you. Thank you. I appreciate you asking me to participate in the rest of the project. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. To connect and contribute, go to howtolovahuman.com.